last week, if you weren't with us, we kicked off a new series that we are gonna be in this fall. I'm really excited about it. Uh, the series is titled, God Is, dot, dot, dot. God is, and what we're doing is we're answering kind of the big questions of, okay, who is God and what is God like? Now, if you missed last week, I really wanna encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast, not because it's a great sermon, but because it just really laid the foundation for the rest of our series. So go back this week, listen to the podcast. It kind of lays the foundation. And what I did last week is I introduced Exodus 34, verses six and seven. Exodus 34, six and seven. This is the, the rooted passage that we're gonna be in for the entirety of the fall. And I actually wanna invite us to read it out loud together. My hope is that by the end of this series, we all have this passage memorized. And so I wanna invite us to read this out loud together. This is Exodus chapter 34, uh, verses six and seven. Go ahead and put that up on, on read it out loud, but it's not on the screen, go ahead. Uh, and let's read this together, starting in verse six of Exodus chapter 34. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, don't get hung up on that last line too much. Like, what's going on there? We're gonna get to it. It's actually a really, really beautiful thing. Now, there are a number of reasons that we chose this passage. I went over them last week, but there's a couple I wanna highlight this morning. Exodus 34, verses six and seven is the most quoted passage in the Bible by the Bible. So biblical authors in the Bible, they circle back around to this passage over and over and over again. It was so central to who they were as a culture, as a religion. Like this was their John 3.16 of the day. This was one of the few places, this is one of the few places in the Bible where God himself, this is God speaking in Exodus 34, six and seven, where God himself describes himself. And so what a lot of scholars consider this to be is ground zero for a theology of God. You can take it off the screen. But we didn't just ask, okay, why did we choose this passage? We actually kind of talked about why we're in this series in the first place. Like why in the world did we choose to tackle such a big topic of who God is, what God is like? And I shared with you this quote from A.W. Tozer. I don't know if you can remember it or not, but it said, we tend by a secret law of the soul. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. Do you kind of see what he's getting at there? So what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Who God is and what God is like are the most important questions we can ask as a human being. We all have our ideas of who God is and what God's like, both right and wrong. Our picture of God, our image of God has been shaped by numerous factors. We talked about them last week in both good ways, right? And some bad ways, probably some inaccurate ways and some accurate ways. Now in this series, what we're doing is we are going to 
the source. There's a lot of places you can hear about what God is like. What we're doing in this series is we're going to the source. What scripture has to say, what God himself has to say about himself, which is what God is doing right here in this passage of Exodus 34. So we ended last week, if you weren't with us, we ended last week with this prayer that Moses prayed. Moses in Exodus uh, 33, who God's speaking to right here in Exodus 34, he prayed this prayer. He said, okay, God, show me your glory. Pretty, pretty watershed moment in the story of scripture, in the story of God. And we ended our worship gathering last week by praying this prayer. God, like, will you show us your glory? Will you show us your presence? Will you show us your beauty? Will, will you show us who you really are? That's the heart. That's the longing of this series that we're in. Now, maybe the biggest takeaway from last week, and it's what we're gonna build upon today, is that God has a name. God has a name, and it's actually not God. His name is Yahweh. And through his name, Yahweh, we talked about the fact that God is a relational being. In his name, we see that he is a relational being who wants to know you, and wants to be known by you. We can know God as revealed through his name and he can know us. Now this week, we're actually gonna look at God's name again. In fact, we're gonna stay solely on God's name, Yahweh, for four weeks. And you're like, four weeks on just a name, like on just one word? If it was your name, if it was my name, I'd say, yeah, that's not possible but it's God's name and he's endless and he's boundless. Just by God revealing who he is through his name says a lot about who he is and what he's like. Now I wanna invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter three. Exodus chapter three, you can pull out your phone, you can pull out your Bible. I'll tell you what, before I do that, I wanna kinda unpack where we find ourselves. I wanna unpack the story uh, for us a little bit before we just jump into Exodus three. Um, Last week, we talked about Moses and the prophet God had chosen to lead God's people. And so the Hebrews um, were coming out of slavery in Egypt to freedom in a new land. And Moses, who God had chosen, had this really special and unique relationship with God. It tells us in the scriptures that God would speak to Moses like one speaks to a friend. That's how it describes God and Moses in conversation with each other. That's enough to just wrestle with right there. And so last week, we just kind of eavesdropped into one of these conversations. We kind of jumped in and looked at one of these conversations between Moses and God. Now we're gonna go backwards a little bit in the story. We were in Exodus 33 and 34. We're gonna kind of go backwards a little bit in the story. And we're gonna actually go to the moment where God asks Moses to be that leader that leads them, to be the leader of God's people, to bring them out of slavery into freedom. Now, you may be familiar with the story we're about to kind of eavesdrop in on, jump into. It's where uh, Moses encounters this burning bush. And when I say burning bush, I don't actually mean a bush that's burning. It's a bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And Moses is like, what, what is going on over there? And he goes a little bit closer and the closer he gets, he hears this voice and it says, Moses, I'm gonna need you to take your shoes off because where you're standing is holy ground. Moses realizes I am in the presence of God Almighty. 
Now, here we are in the midst of this conversation. He's in the presence of God Almighty, and Moses is in this back and forth with the Creator God. And we get to eavesdrop on another conversation here between Moses and God himself. Uh, God is in the midst of convincing Moses that, hey, you actually are gonna be the one to lead my people out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses is like, I'm not really sure. Can you, can you kind of let me in on who you are and what you're like? Verse 13, we're gonna jump in in the midst of this conversation. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, say to them the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, okay, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Now God said to Moses, and you may have heard this line before, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. I am has sent you. He keeps going. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord or Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now last week, what we did is we talked about the significance of learning God's name. Now, names back then in ancient context, they had so much more weight and significance than name in our modern context. So your name back then was more than just a title. Your name was your identity. Like your name was your destiny, kind of summed up in one word. Now, Exodus 34, where we were last week, God really lays out his inner character that's connected with his name, who he is, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, a God of justice, which is why we started there in our series and why we're rooting our series in Exodus 34. But Exodus 3, in Exodus 3, a little bit earlier in the story is where we're actually first introduced to God's name. Now, for the sake of time, we didn't go here last week. But I'm not sure if you noticed here in Exodus 3 that God kind of says his name in a couple of different ways. Um, a few different ways. He says his name is I am. Did you catch that? He says, okay, hey, tell them I am is the one who sent you. And tell them, hey, the Lord or Yahweh is the one who sent you. Now, God is not contradicting himself here. His, he's saying his name in both the first and the third person. So last week, what we did is we looked at how we say God's name, Yahweh. Now, this week, we're getting insight on how God says his name. Now, I wanna help us out a little bit. Um, I've actually kind of worked up a slide to give us a quick little Hebrew lesson um, so you can be experts by the time you leave here. I think this is important, and I like this kind of stuff, so nerd out with me here for just a moment. If you don't like this kind of stuff, language stuff, you can just ignore it and we'll move on in just a moment. But as you can see behind me, God's name is derived from the Hebrew uh, verb to be, and it's pronounced hayah. Let's do a little karate in church. Everyone say hayah. Hayah, hayah. Yeah, basically the same thing as what you say in karate. It's the Hebrew uh, root word to be. So when God says his name, first person, when he says, I am, what he's saying is ehye. Everyone say, eh, yeah. Okay, when we say God's name, when we're speaking 
He is, it's Yahweh. Everyone say Yahweh. Yahweh. So over the next three weeks, what we're gonna do is we're gonna kind of get this zoom out perspective of God's name. We're gonna kind of zoom out on God's name. So when God says, hey, I am, or when God says Yahweh, like what does that mean about who he is and what he's like? We're gonna take four weeks and kind of look at the, the indicators the implications of what his name means. And then we're gonna dive back in four weeks from now into each and every one of those words, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And we're gonna look at his inner character. So God's name kind of zoomed out for the next four weeks. Now God's name alone, mysterious in some ways, like literally there are scholars who spend their entire life, their entire work simply studying God's name in the original Hebrew. Like, talk about a career. You're like, God's name, that's, I literally study it all the time. But there's some mysterious things about it, but there's certain aspects about his nature that we can actually know. So when God says, I am, or when he says, Yahweh, what does this reveal about himself? Like, what does this say about who he is? Now, one of the things, and we're, what we're looking at this week, is that Yahweh God is eternal in nature. Yahweh God is eternal in nature and character. The fact that God is eternal, that he's outside of time. That's what we're gonna look at. My oldest son, Isaiah, just turned four years old earlier this month, and it really kind of has me in this like existential crisis about like how quickly time is going by. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you like realize just how quick time is just how fast time is going by. Now, I love, I love like getting in the mind of a kid because from a kid's perspective, time is actually really slow. It's like time is moving so slow. Like when is Christmas going to arrive? You're on that road trip. It's like, when are we going to get there? Time moves by. So, so Brandon and Courtney just went to Florida. They probably heard the question hundreds of times, are we there yet? Like, are we there yet? Are we gonna get there? Time just moves slow as a kid. It's the reason a kid can be in their room for hours just pretending they're a pirate or a superhero and they're just lost, almost as though time doesn't exist. Here's what I've come to figure out, maybe this is true for you, but the longer you experience time, the older you get, the faster time seems to go. The more you experience life, you realize how fleeting and how quick it all actually is. It's like time, the order you get just becomes like sand, just slipping through your fingers. But there's something really beautiful about this understanding. There's something really important about this realization, about how quickly time goes. I believe there's great wisdom to be understood. There's great insight to be gained when we begin to understand how quickly time moves by in this Life. It's why I love just spending time around people who are older and wiser than me. You're just like, there's something different about you. I think the different thing about them is they gain perspective and they gain wisdom in something that only time itself can produce. Something only time itself can produce. Now, Think about this with me for a moment. You know those really just old wise people who have just lived a long time. God himself, God himself is eternal. He's outside of time. 
I, I have been and I always will be. God's name in and of itself means that he is eternal in his divine being. He is eternal in his divine being. His name right here, it occurs in the present tense. It's not, I was who I was. It's not, I will be who I will be. He says, I am who I am. This is because he has no past or future, but only an eternal present. Kind of hurts your mind a little bit, right? I'm not sure how much time you've spent thinking about God's eternal nature and what that means about who he is and what he's like. But I think it's important to sometimes just kind of stand back, just to stand back and just be in awe of who God is. We don't wanna live our life this way because he's a relational being who knows us and talks to us and speaks to us, but do you ever stand back and just think about the fact that God was before time and he will be forever in time? He is so much bigger than we can fathom. It can hurt your brain a little bit, but knowing God is eternal and outside of time has profound implications for how we live our lives right now. Because when we embrace the eternal nature of God, a couple of things happen. We get perspective and we get wisdom that is beyond ourselves. We get perspective and wisdom that is beyond us. It's hard to wrap your minds around, but I think one of the best illustrations that I've ever heard to kind of explain God's just eternal nature, this, this reality that he's outside of time is when you think about a parade. Raise your hand if you've ever been to a parade before. My wife uh, grew up going to Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Um, I've heard a lot about Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade being there, but typically if you've ever been to a parade, um, you kind of show up, right? If you're really prepared, you've got your lawn chairs and you find your spot and then the parade starts. After a while, the parade starts and you're kind of looking, you can kind of hear it off in the distance a little bit and then it gets closer and closer and it's like, all right, here's the beginning of the parade, it's happening. And then you see the beginning of the parade and then you kind of see it go along, you see the middle of the parade and then keep going along and you finally see the end of the parade and you kind of watch it off in the distance. So when you think about just this perspective shift, right? I'm gonna back off of you, AT here. I'm gonna back off of you a little bit. When you think about this perspective shift, Think about, think about how you, we kind of could see the parade. Think about how God would see the parade. Now, this illustration breaks down because God is eternal. He's outside of time. But here's what I want us to see. He sees the beginning and he sees the end and he sees the middle all at the same time. This is why in Exodus 3 and verse 15, God could say, hey, this is my name forever. From, from generation to generation to generation. This is my name forever. It has been and it always will be who I am. Now, you don't see just this revealed in Exodus chapter three. You see this revealed all across the entirety of scripture. God's eternal nature across the entire scope of scripture. Beginning to end, Old Testament, New Testament, you see this understanding and this knowledge that God is in fact eternal, not just here in his name. It was something that, that the writers wrote about. Moses later on goes on to write Psalm 90 and he describes God as everlasting to everlasting. You see it in the New Testament writers describing King Jesus as eternal. It's not just something that they wrote about. It's not just something that they taught about. It was something that actually affected the way that they lived in the present. It shaped the way that they lived in the present. 
So something that just kept hitting me this week. Inside, inside of God's eternal nature, that God is so steadfast. If you're taking notes, I just want you to write this down. God is steadfast. His eternal nature reveals his steadfastness. He has been and he always will be the same. It's not just who he is in nature, it's who he is in character. So the character that we see in Exodus 34 is who God has been and who God always will be. As you read the narrative of scripture, you see just this consistency in this steadfastness of character, Genesis to Revelation. God is so steady. One of the ways that you can actually interpret I am who I am is whatever I am, I will be. Meaning whatever God is like, he's that way consistently. He's unshifting. So if God is compassionate, he's compassionate all the time. If God is loving, he's loving all the time. If God is slow to anger, he's slow to anger all the time. Now this is hard for us to wrap our minds around because I know what you're like and you know what I'm like. Two kids at home, one moment I am slow to anger, I'm patient, I'm abounding in love, and the next moment I am abounding in anger like that. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around the consistency of character we see in God over thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years. Genesis to Revelation, he is the same in character and nature. Now, I think a false narrative that you hear often, and this may be your story or you probably know someone whose story this is, is that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. One of the things that I hope this series really kind of works out of us is that false narrative. I hope today it begins to kind of help us see who God is from beginning to end. That's actually one of my main goals of today's sermon, that you begin to understand the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. When we look at God's eternal nature, when we examine just how steadfast he is, it helps us understand who God is beginning to end. Genesis to Revelation, before it, after it. It's the same God all along the way. A quote that I read this week um, may be helpful for you, maybe kind of your story. It says this, it says, for years I thought of Yahweh in the Old Testament as parallel with the Father in the New Testament. Like Jesus is this newcomer in the story. This is wrong and this is dangerous. It leads to a twisted character, as if the Father is this grumpy old warmonger in the Old Testament. And Jesus is the son who went off to Berkeley, came home with all sorts of radical ideas about grace and love and tolerance and basically said, come on, dad, let's not kill everybody. How about I die for them myself? I think this is sometimes the narrative that we believe about who God is. I'm not sure if this is your story or not, but it's a narrative that you will probably hear someone else speak to you. But this is a real misreading of the story that scriptures reveal and the scriptures tell. Now here's the truth. And this is a pretty profound moment we're getting ready to dive into. The truth is that Jesus is the long-awaited human coming of Yahweh. 
the same God that we see on top of Mount Sinai in Exodus 34, the same God at the beginning of creation, the same God that we see in Jesus, the same God that's revealed to us in the gospel stories. But here's the thing. I don't want you to just take my word for it. What we're doing all series, going back to the source, going back to what scripture reveals about who God is. So John, the gospel of John, John, someone who lived with Jesus, who knew Jesus. He was one of Jesus's friends. He's writing this gospel account of who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. So John chapter one, verse 14, you can just listen to this. And as you're listening to John chapter one, verse 14, I want you to keep Exodus 34 in mind. Keep Exodus 34 in mind as we read this. It says, but the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That literally means he tabernacled among us. He, he pitched his tent among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Do, do you see what John's doing here? Dwelled, glory, grace, truth, which is actually love and faithfulness. When he says grace and truth here, he's saying love and faithfulness. He is putting Jesus in the midst of the Exodus 34 story. He's saying, do you see the picture of who Jesus really is? John 17, verse six, he says, I have revealed what? Your name. I have revealed your name to those whom you gave me out of this world. What is, what is Jesus revealing? He's revealing God's name. He's revealing God's character. He's revealing who God is. Jesus is the embodiment of who God is in heart and who God is in character. Now, John 8, this, this is the mic drop moment from Jesus. This is, this is the moment. He says, as he's speaking to a group of Jews, this is what he says. He says, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am I am. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying, I am who I am. Jesus tells us in Revelation, he's the alpha, the omega, he's the beginning, he's the end. He is the eternal one. Jesus is Yahweh. The same Jesus we see active and speaking in the New Testament is the same God we see in the Old Testament. God is eternal. God is the same. God is steadfast. It's the same Jesus. It's the same God, Father, Son, Spirit, acting and thinking and moving as one. Then, now, and forever. So, if time has this way of helping us gain perspective and wisdom, right? It makes sense why Jesus spoke with such authority and insight. You see, Jesus was unlike any other rabbi. He was unlike anyone else that anyone had ever heard before. There was just something different about Jesus. It's because he was the eternal one. He was there before the beginning. He was there at the creation of the world and he will be the one that reigns forever on his throne 
when he comes back to restore the new heaven and new earth as God intended it. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't just come to give us wisdom and insight just to live by. Yahweh God, from the beginning of time, intended for humanity to experience his eternal nature, to be with him forever. It's what we are made for. This was God's vision. But sin entered the world, right? Death entered the world and the plan was interrupted. Eternity with God was interrupted. But Jesus, longing for us to be with him forever in perfect communion, he entered the world. The eternal God took on mortal flesh paid the debt that we could not pay so that eternity with God would be possible so that we could live with God forever so that death would no longer have the last word. And it's with this eternal perspective that we as followers of Jesus live. We live with this perspective. We live with this wisdom. We live with this knowledge that this, this world is not our home as it is right now. Our home is with eternity in Jesus, in a new heaven, in a new earth, in a resurrected body, experiencing life as we were intended to experience it, tasting and seeing and smelling and hearing in perfect communion with God. That's what we're made for. Ecclesiastes 3 actually tells us Eternity was put in the hearts of humanity by God. And I believe that the longer we live as followers of Jesus on this earth, the more wisdom and the more perspective we gain in light of this truth. When we embrace God's eternal nature, eternal perspective and wisdom, here, here's, here's what we begin to do. We begin to say, okay, I can be radically generous with my finances because I know this world is not my home. Okay, I can face this trial with hope and with joy because I know these troubles are momentary. I can deny myself of this sinful desire because I know that I am made for so much more than what right now is having to offer. I can be bold and I can be courageous in my faith because the very people that I'm interacting with, the very people I'm working with, the very people that I live next door to, eternity's on the line. The very thing that each and every one of us long for is on the line for each and every person. When we begin embracing God's eternal nature, it gives us perspective and wisdom to live by that is so far beyond the here and the now. So the question that I want us to wrestle with over communion this morning, one of the things that we do each and every morning that we gather is, is we break the body and we break, uh, sh share the blood of Jesus over communion. And now we're made for perfect communion with God, right? Each week that we gather and we do this, this is that reminder of, hey, we're in the here and the not yet. 
but we long for something so much better. We long for perfect communion with God. And the question that I want us to wrestle with over communion is this. You can put it up. When we embrace Yahweh God's eternal nature, how does it change the way that we live today? When we begin to embrace his eternal nature, how does it change the way that we live today? I'll pray for us and then let's head to communion together. Father, you are so beyond our understanding. Truly, you are. The fact that that you existed before the creation of the world, the fact that you will go on forever is hard for us to comprehend. And yet we know that's what we were made for. We were made for life with you, perfect unity with you. In your perfect presence, knowing you and walking with you, just like Adam and Eve walked in the garden with you. That's what we're made for, God. Will you put this this longing in us, Jesus, for you to return? Increase our hunger for the eternal things and lessen our, our appetite for the present. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Together as a whole church, we say, amen.